Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. I'm sitting here with someone I'm very excited to have on the show, Jen Gotch. She is the founder and chief creative officer of the lifestyle brand Bando, which is very colorful and very whimsical and very cool and optimistic. Uh, she also has a new podcast on the Girl Boss Network called Jen Gotch is okay, dot, 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 sometimes. <laughs> and she's very popular. Her Instagram stories are very popular. And in her Instagram story, she is very open about her mental health struggles. Um, came out with a, ne- like a best selling necklace that said anxiety <laughs> yeah. and also one that said depression. Um, so I want to get into all of that. Let's just start with you have an emotional rating system. It's true. It goes I do. from zero to 10. Yep. But 10 does not mean the best. No, no, no. Well, so it's a, system that I created with my mom a long time ago. Soodles? Soodles. Also known as the Amazing Serena, also known as just Serena, mm-hmm. depending on all of our moods. Um, but she wanted she wanted me to be able to quickly convey to her how I was feeling without having to get into the intricacies of the emotion because we didn't have that kind of relationship and I would normally be like, I don't want to talk about it. She's like, just give me a number. And so at that point it was like one is really bad, ten is great. Mm-hmm. But um, in my early 30s, I was diagnosed with bipolar. I had been diagnosed with depression, but it was a misdiagnosis. And so once once the bipolar came along, it was like 10 was going to be too high. And and one is still what one is. So I adjusted it. So it's it's really an emotional rating system as it stands now for someone that has bipolar, but it's easily adjustable mm-hmm. if not. But so 7.8, I'm wearing my 7.8 necklace, is like my ideal mood when you're at a 10 do you feel good oh my gosh i feel amazing that i mean that's the thing with mania in general is like and why it's so hard to keep um people on medication sometimes is like it 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 actually feels really good it's more of like the fallout from Mm -hmm. the mania is the part that's really hard because you have to deal with the repercussions of anything you did and usually just like you know, the pendulum swings. So same with anxiety. It's like once you once your body gets into that excited thing, there's always a come down. Right. If it could just be mania all the time, I don't know that I would have a problem only being a 10. But there are implications. Are you productive work wise when you're manic? That's a good question. I always think of myself as shopping when I'm manic. So (laughs) I don't I don't know that I'm doing work. But I would say I would say probably. I also would say I I have ADD also. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole plethora of things wrong with me. Um, but I, when I was taking Adderall for that, it would kind of put me into sort of like a hypomanic state. So I would, it, I think inadvertently would get a lot of work done, but also would just, everything is kind of sped up. Mm-hmm. So, and. What's hypomanic versus manic? So from what I can understand, and I'm definitely not a doctor, (laughs) just been to a lot of them. Um, I think for it to actually be considered mania, it has to last for three days or something. It's like a much more extended, which I don't even know that I could imagine. So Mm -hmm. most of what I 
deal with is hypomanic. So that can just be a couple hours or a day. But I think mania is like a like a sustained period mm-hmm. of feeling like that. And what uh, what rating system would you give yourself today? Ooh, I've been all over the board today. I would say I'm at like a seven now. So that's that's pretty I mean, good. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. If I didn't have this stiff neck, I think I could get that's to like right. a seven point five. You mentioned <laughs> you have a stiff neck and stiff back, and yeah. I promised that I would not creep behind you and ask any questions. <laughs> no, no sudden movements, nothing like that. Yeah. What happened? Do you know? Well, we were just talking about it. I, I, I feel like it could be my anxiety just like settled in my back because it's been four days I've never in all my life had a four day stiff neck and back but I've had um more anxiety in the last three weeks than I feel like I had had collectively in like eight months prior to that so what's going on I mean that podcast you mentioned (laughs) (laughs) as it turns out is giving me a ton of anxiety yeah um work I just signed a book deal, you know, Congratulations. it's just, yeah, I'm really, it's all, it's what's hard. And I think what, what was hard for me to like understand what was happening is like everything that's happening are things I wanted to happen and work towards happening and it's all positive. So I was, there was a lot of guilt for even um, entertaining the idea of being anxious about it, but it's all very like very personal. And so I think it's just like accessing a part of me, even though like you mentioned on Instagram, I I mean, I have no problem. We just met and I'm already telling you all this stuff. (laughs) Um, So that's not a problem for me, but I think just it's like, like such a heightened form of vulnerability that I'm just not, I guess I'm not used to. At least that's what I, you know, some people are like, it's the moon. (laughs) Mm, I had not considered that. You know, probably 20% of people that messaged me were like, it's the moon. And I, and, and I was talking to somebody about that. They're like, but the moon isn't going to change. So we can't really, let's not attribute it to the Mm -hmm. moon. Let's like figure it out. Right. So it could be Mercury in retrograde. Yeah. I mean, there's always something. I wish, I don't I don't buy into all that stuff. However, I always do find it weirdly comforting when like shit's all fucked up and someone's like, well, Mercury's in retrograde. I'm like, yes, it is. Yes, it absolutely is. And I actually (laughs) buy into most of that stuff because I find it really interesting. But this was the one time where I'm like, I just don't want it to be the moon Mm -hmm. because the moon is just up there. Right. (laughs) Like, I want to be able to my brain is also like wants to to like figure out the problem and start solving it and like I don't know what I could do to adjust the moon so I'm relating so strongly to what you're saying and I always want to try to figure out the problem yeah figure out why like for me just abject personally abject misery is when I feel (laughs) something and I can't articulate it. yes that I I hate that feeling yeah and I always want to figure it out and then go from there I know that there are 12 step programs that feel like, and I, I'm going to mess this up, but it's something like self knowledge avails you nothing. Mm-hmm. I might have gotten that wrong. Mm-hmm. I, but, yeah. but there's I that been feeling. I have a 12 step program yet. So <laughs> I haven't needed it. But there's that, this idea that, that self, that, let me let me come at this question in a different direction because I actually wanted to ask this of you. You are so self-aware and you really do understand your your inner workings. Um, how do you th- how does that affect your mood when you're in a funk? 
I feel like it's only helped me. You know, um, I spent a lot of time building that self-awareness. I can I can look back and, and read journals and stuff from when I was younger and be like, oh, wow, I just was not in touch with any of that. So the fact that I've had so much therapy and read so many books and, and can do that has helped me more than in my mind than it's hurt me. And I think, you know, when I when I talk about mental health and good mental health, I feel like that's a huge, you know, building block of that is because so much of getting help and asking for help, you have to tell someone what's going on inside because a doctor, there's like, they can't take an x-ray mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and tell you what's wrong. So it, to me, it's, it's only helped. I, I would say sometimes it's like maybe too self-aware, you know, it may, I'm definitely an overthinker. So that, that might be the one handicap, but I, I'll take it. <laughs> I just to go back to what we were talking about before. I wonder when you're talking about the stress of this heightened vulnerability, yeah. it's one thing if you're putting your own stuff on Instagram, yeah. but it's another to have these other people involved yeah. in putting out your podcast, putting yes. out your book, etc. Yes. Yeah. It's, and that was new for me. I, I don't, I wouldn't say I took it for granted, but I don't think I had recognized like what a protected state I was in. And, and like, especially at work, you know, I mean, I founded the company and, and so like I'm held in high regard and, and my ideas aren't really questioned. Not even to say that like with the pot, no one really was questioning me, but they were asking questions (laughs) and, um, so to just be out of that safe place and then, yeah, it was like, I, I felt like I had to quickly download everybody on like who I am, why I'm like this, what I'm going to do that's going to drive you nuts, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and sort of like fast track all of that because then I was like, now I'm going to send you recordings of me crying and, um, you know, just saying the weirdest stuff and expect you to like make sense of it and, and give it to an audience that I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, there's, I'm sure there's some crossover with the girl boss audience, but mm-hmm. there's definitely a place where our paths diverge. So that was scary too. Cause mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't know that I'm that likable right out of the gate. <laughs> I, think you are. I don't know. I'm just like, they might not like this. <laughs> it makes me think of that. Something that you said on your podcast. Another thing that I, I, that I, re- you must get, people must tell you they relate to you all the time. Like, they that's do. It's nice. I thing. love it. Yeah. I like uh, it. But you said that you don't like nutshells. Mm, and I was like, yes, <laughs> I feel like that has the whole elevator pitch thing. Like that has Ugh. been my problem for so long. It's anytime I have to write a bio f- of yes. myself or like any of that, like distilling, like it's just, it almost feels, um, it feels inaccurate or inauthentic yeah i feel like just experience all of me somehow i know no it's so true and the for years with mando i could not encapsulate it Mm -hmm. i'm just like first of all it's like a feeling i don't know how to tell you know if it's not like a diagnosable disorder i can't always like it's like a pink cloud that i can't describe and then yeah when you're trying to do like a pitch or or you want to have a description of your podcast or um, that has always, always eluded me. I, I just, I'm very long winded too, as you, I mean, as when we get into hour five of this recording, <laughs> you'll be like, we have to go. Um, but yeah, I'm sure. So, I mean, you obviously have something to say too, if you've had a successful podcast for all this time. So yeah, just get, I feel like I'm doing the recipient a disservice by trying to like 
put three sentences around mm-hmm. something much bigger, but most people actually prefer that. <laughs> yes, yeah, because they don't <laughs> have like, time. Mm, yeah. For the, so I would imagine with the podcast and with the book, you had to encapsulate, right? For sure. And and outlines are almost as hard as nutshells for me. So same. I don't know where I'm going to end up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and and on with both of those projects, it's like it, we just need to get this down. It can change at any time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I couldn't reconcile that. I was just like, no, it needs to be exactly what it is. Even though I know, like from a creative standpoint, it never is what you set out to do. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it, it has um, the vulnerability is not just emotional. It's also brought these these things to the surface that are like I'm actually not good at, and and I've been playing into just like my specific skill set for mm-hmm. so long that I really haven't been challenged in that way to be like. Now let's try and get you to do something you have no idea how to do. So, which is really, really exciting for me, but also obviously giving me back problems. <laughs> uh, so, on your podcast, sometimes you'll break in as future Jen yeah. to correct yourself. Uh, and I love that. And Thanks. so now, future Allison, who actually is existing in this moment, <laughs> needs to go back to address something so that I can get off of it in my head. Yeah. The thing I said about 12 step programs, I think it's not self awareness, it's self knowledge mm. avails you nothing or something like that. Yeah. And I just want to clarify because I'm sure there's people who are like, you didn't explain it right. <laughs> it's just the idea that knowing that you're an addict doesn't prevent you from your addictive behavior. It's true. Um, okay. So let's talk about Bando and how you created that and like what drew you to fashion and design. Yeah. Um, a series of accidents because <laughs> I was a literature and philosophy major headed for law school. Wow. And um, did a bunch of a bunch of different jobs and, and sort of gained an understanding of what creativity even was. Bando was really just... A friend and I started, we made for ourselves these like, I don't know if you know how, what, when we, we were vintage one of a kind hair accessories when we started, which is much different company than what it is now. Mm-hmm. But we, we had each made one for ourselves for special occasions and, and I had put it on my blog, which was a journal type blog years and years ago. And people were like, I want one. And, and so we what were did like, it look like? It was like, I still have it. It, it was like, it's basically like a predecessor to, to like the flower crown thing that happened around Mm. 2010 and beyond, you know, all the Coachella stuff. So this was like in 2008. So it was just like vintage flowers and, um, it was different than what no one was doing anything like that. So we were just like, all right, well, let's, let's sell them. And, and should we do Etsy or should we, and, and then we're like, maybe we'll just do our own website. My brother was a designer and I, I was a photographer at the time. So I was like, we could figure this out, which was like a happy accident because it like kind of forced us into more branding than what you would have done if you were just like getting a URL on Etsy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just kind of went from there. I mean, essentially it was like two creatives just like really getting a thrill out of making things for people and connecting with them and selling stuff but we actually had no idea what we were doing you know so for the first several years it was just like grinding I mean sweat equity doesn't even begin to you know define what we were doing but um we were really passionate about it we just were um we were kind of all over the place because because we weren't business people Mm -hmm. um and then 
around four years in, we sold the company because she needed to leave. Um, she was moving out of state. And that's really when the bando of today began to take shape because the the we sold it to a company called Lifeguard Press, which is a privately owned licensing company um, owned by a, two wonderful people that are dear friends of mine now, but they knew everything about products except for like the branding piece. And all we had was the branding piece. You know, like we had a community, we had a brand, we had an aesthetic, we had a voice. And was that similar to what it is now? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even even as recently as this morning, you know, we're still kind of like tweaking like, well, what do we stand for? And what do we what you know, what do we want to put out? And you articulated a lot of it when you described it. So that makes me feel good that it's coming through, even if I'm not like stating (laughs) it. But as I look back, everything we were trying to do at the beginning is still there. We just are we're identifying it now. Whereas initially it was just like what our personalities and what our gut was, but we were never like, this is our mission statement. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, you know, we're trying to articulate it because it's a bigger business and you want to (laughs) have, you want to have information like that for people. Right. So you sold it. Um, how many years ago was that? Six years ago. And then is that the point at which you became the chief creative officer? I, I think I was creative director at first. I mean, when it, there were four or five of us at the time and they were like, just pick what you want your job to be, <laughs> you know? And for me, it was like, they no one was going to buy the company if I wasn't there because I was the creative lead and so they wanted that with it. And so, yeah, so I so I so my title was creative director, but we were all doing everything. It's always been very collaborative, um, even now. Um, it's not just like me handing down this, you know, edict of like, go execute on my behalf. It's very, you know, it's always been that way. So, so yeah, I was creative director. And then as the organization grew, my title got bigger just to leave room for people to come in underneath and be creative director mm-hmm. and stuff. So, yeah. Um, have you always been drawn to fashion and design? No, not really. Uh, like I said, I was I was drawn to law at one point. Um, <laughs> yeah, what kind of law did you breaking the law? <laughs> I I didn't get that far. I just knew that I had a a good mind for arguing and like influencing people with words and and you know growing up because I'm 46, so it's like there was there wasn't the internet like I didn't have access to like all the jobs and I knew I knew doctor and lawyer for sure and I knew I didn't want to be a doctor <laughs> so I was my like dad's a doctor <laughs> my dad's a doctor um nothing against him or his field but I was like oh, I don't want to do that um so so yeah I forgot what you asked me that's the well, ADD sorry <laughs> I was asking if you were always drawn to fashion mm, design, but there's mm. like there's something behind my question. So okay. I'm just going to, instead yeah, of concealing just- it, I'm just going to come out with it. Um, I have always, I personally, because of body issues and insecurity and all sorts of stuff, I've always felt very intimidated by fashion yeah. and fashion people. Yeah. yeah. Um, yet I'm not intimidated by you. You seem like very nice and down to earth. Yeah. And, and all of Bandeau actually seems very inclusive and and accessible and and non-intimidating um so i guess i'm just wondering like because i feel like you and i are similar in a lot of ways and yet i would i would never be drawn to fashion because the whole like all of it just freaks me out sure i um 
I don't really consider myself drawn to fashion and I don't really consider bandeau fashion. I think of it more as lifestyle than anything else. And we definitely like dip our toes in, and, you know, we make apparel and, um, but I feel the exact same way. Very intimidated by that. I, I don't, that's just not like my worldview is not based on like labels mm-hmm. or if, I mean, like fashion labels or labels of any kind, actually. Um, or like putting that much value. It, that's just not what's important to me. So I think that's probably why a lot of that comes through with Bandeau and, and like agreed that there's something very exclusive about fashion and, and a lot of fashion brands. And I definitely didn't want that, but didn't actively steer the ship that way until recently. Like that's my personality because I've felt on the outside of things always i mean especially like you think about as a teenager those feelings you have like they they just like insert themselves and it never Mm -hmm. i still feel that way when i meet people that are in that industry i'm just like i'm not good enough i'm not enough i'm not cool enough i'm not you know and i just i thought if there's one thing i can do in the world to to not make people feel that way even for a minute like that's that would be a real gift. So I so that is definitely something I so I'm glad you're feeling all that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just, you know, that's just me. I also think like those of us in those industries have a real opportunity to change the way that that is and and I I do think part of that is not a school as it used to be and I think people are starting to get hip to the fact that like this doesn't make me feel good, so why am I making it so important it should be the other way around Mm -hmm. so i i definitely would love to be part of that revolution (laughs) i have started thinking recently and i feel like i've mentioned this on maybe one of my solo episodes i feel like i've gone through my whole life dressing in a almost like a like wearing shame on the outside Mm. of like what can i what's the most like sleek thing and like Mm -hmm. almost all my clothes are black Mm -hmm. and but that is what i like it's what i feel the most comfortable in but at the same time like thinking you know if you believe you only have one go round, which i pretty much do yeah like why not be more whimsical be more colorful be more fun and playful and and all all those bandeau-y things yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're definitely good at that (laughs) yeah i you know i think it is just like comfort it's like comfort zones you know and and it is black is the easiest color to wear we actually did a survey um like a customer survey earlier this year and we were like what's the most popular color in your closet and 80 something percent still said black and you wouldn't you know, you wouldn't figure that from a bandeau customer. I mean, the, the pink was the second color, <laughs> obviously. But, but I, I get that. And there, there is a thing with, I dress color. I, I'm, I'm very moved by color. So it's, I dress for my mood and, and I, I think it's, it's a really important part for me, but it draws attention. Like, it, I went through what I call my black face <laughs> where I was like, there's three months where all, I just wanted to wear black all the time. And I, like halfway through, I was like, no one's talking to me because I just was wearing black. And then I went back to like wearing hair. It's like, I don't usually go anywhere without someone just saying like, Oh, cute socks or, Oh, I like that shirt or cause it's like, I yeah. don't know, it's just like broadcasting something out. Right. I heard, um, the editor in chief, I think, I think of good housekeeping on a podcast on Maria Menounos's podcast. And she was talking about how she never wears black mm. because it kind of, I think because it is off putting versus like if she wears a, I think, she, I think it was a shirt that said have a nice day or yeah, something. Yeah. It's such a conversation starter. Yeah. And that's what got me thinking about all this. Yeah. Like my clothing is not 
in in it. But at the same time, do I necessarily want a, a conversation well, starter? I think that's the important question to ask. And, and actually, when we went into apparel, and you know, we really started with graphic tees, and I was that's actually what it was everything what you know we have this um, we have a sweatshirt that says I did my best on it and it was like like I'm addicted to iron-on letters I make my own shirts all the time and the conversations that I was having off of that sweatshirt with a wide demographic I was like oh this is so important like let's do this for us and then I realized like some people may not want a stranger to come and talk Mm -hmm. that's like a personal I love that but I you know, it's the, this awareness that, that has come over me over the last several years to understand that like not everybody ha- shares the same worldview. <laughs> and, and that is what, I mean, color, graphic, t- all of that stuff, statement, anything will, will draw attention and may lead to a conversation with somebody you don't know. Mm-hmm. And like not everybody's up for that. I mean, you have to be in a pretty good mood. <laughs> I'm always happier though. Like I can be in a funk and then I'll go out and have just a couple little conversations in the course of my day. And I always feel a thousand times better. For sure. It's just hard to seek that out when I'm not feeling like that's what I want. Do you consider yeah. yourself introvert or extrovert? I, I'm both, but um, I'm like an extrovert that needs alone time to recharge and get ready to extrovert all over the place. But <laughs> I still get like nervous and shy and certain situations i was super super introverted and shy growing up i just like by the time i got to college i think i was like like what you said it's like we have one chance so if i'm just like sitting here not talking to anybody nothing's going to happen (laughs) um okay switching gears probing question do (laughs) your parents who are so funny and so cute and they're on your podcast yep um you were talking to them about the seeds of self-doubt mm-hmm. and like inadvertent things they had said mm-hmm. that um, kickstarted some some self-doubt at different moments in your life. Yeah. And I was wondering, do you feel like they get what you're saying? Absolutely. Um, it's been really interesting. You know, I've always had a an open dialogue with my mom about emotions and um I'm super, super close with my dad, but we didn't always talk about stuff in that way. And so it's just been interesting with the podcast sort of being a catalyst for all of these conversations. But um, my mom sometimes is has more trouble like recollecting some of that stuff. Um, which is, I find interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm always like, oh, it, where did you put that? Cause like those were <laughs> big things, you know? And, and my dad is like, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, here's what I was trying to do. Like it's, it's been, as most people, I think I've spent a lot of time blaming a lot of things on my parents, which they didn't do on purpose. They're lovely people. Mm-hmm. Like I really lucked out, but they were young and they did. I mean, they definitely didn't have access to a fraction of the information that we have access to. So, so I, I really think they get it. And we have a ton of conversations that I don't record that I'm just like, Oh, this is going to be so cool for us as a family, you know, to talk through. And I, and I think it's like, they're kind of quintessential parents too. So it's like, I think it's been helpful for other people to be like, Oh, this just sounds like, well, especially if your parents are New York Jews, it sounds exactly like <laughs> <laughs> your parents. So. But it also is it's, uh, inter- interesting and I think edifying to hear them explain that when they're being self-protective, 
it's not because they have doubts about your yeah. talent. Yeah. It's just they're trying to, they're, it's just, that's them. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I have an episode coming out uh, next week about like the idea of perfection and how that's not real. And I, I, it just kind of washed over me last week. And, and so I called my mom, I figured out how to re- record phone calls. And I was like, you know, asking her about that too. And, and it is true about the fact that 95% of those things that are put on that, on us are not about us it's about the other person Mm -hmm. which is so hard to really process because it's it's been your whole life like that but even you know her talking about that had to do with something that she felt and something that was like imprinted on her it wasn't that I actually needed to be perfect or she needed to criticize so it's like the same as the self-doubt it's the same as all of that it's it's the way it's received is not how it's meant and the way it's perceived is mm-hmm. not how it's meant. So I remember a therapist saying to me a long time ago that if someone, if, if a relationship, maybe it wasn't if a relationship doesn't work out, but like if a guy isn't interested, interest, interested in you, that is not about you. That's yeah. about him. Yeah. And even that was like, <laughs> I hear the words. Yeah. It doesn't. Not, yeah. I can't, I can't, I don't, I don't get it. Now I do. But yeah. then I did not because everything was about me then. Of course. Well, and we're all walking around where it's only about us, but we are, we're forced to interact with each other. And so that's when it gets really confusing. But I agree like the whole, it's not you, it's me. Or like, that's the person thinking about themselves and has nothing to do with you. It is a really nice sound bite, but it's just like, I, I don't. We mean we're ego driven, so right. it's like, how do you, right? How do you make that make sense? I will say that, like, hearing specifically, like, having specific conversations with my parents about specific things has made it easier for me to understand. And it's like, not often, even though I would love to do an an episode on like people that have guys that have ghosted me on social media and just like <laughs> ask them what happened because I'm like, I just need to know the answer. I, I mean, maybe it was me, maybe it wasn't me, but like. I feel like when you have facts, it's easier to absorb mm-hmm. some of those like quippy things that are like, this is just life. It's this is how it goes. It's like, well, that He's makes just sense. But, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's because of him, not because of you. Right. And yeah. I don't know. Um, no, I agree. The not knowing is yeah. like, oh, for me was always the worst. Yeah. I'm like, well, it could have been anything. Yeah. I need I have closure, think- answers, yeah. specifics. Yeah. Um, something that you said on your podcast that I really liked. So you're talking about um, like fervor in dating versus business. Yeah. And that maybe you were saying that maybe that's why you do so well in business because you can apply that kind of yeah. fervor that wouldn't work in dating. Because I have always felt like I had it backwards. Mm. Like when it comes to work stuff, I can be tentative and afraid to like really get in there yeah. and and here's why I'm right for this job and blah 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 and like oh, I don't want to bug them and this but then in dating stuff I was always way too forward yeah well I think it has to do even on a broader sense like um something that's personal or that you're passionate about versus something you've just identified as work and like why I always say it's so important to try and tie those together and I actually had a boss years and years ago and I think she was like a year older than me but she was very (laughs) mature and I was like an assistant set decorator and so one of my big things was like finding items that she needed found for a set and I guess I just wasn't approaching it with like the energy and excitement that she had hoped and she was like pretend you want this for yourself 
Like, pretend this is a jacket that you really want and you will do, you will stop at nothing to get it. Apply that to this. That's what I want. And that has always stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And even just as someone that now has employees, like, that's how I decide. And, and like, how you decide on which employee to hire? If they're, well, what their value is to me. Mm. Because when you're just treating your job as a job, I mean, the amount of time we spend at work, you can't really do that and succeed you know, something's going to give at some point. But the people that approach it with like uh, an energy that would match up to to a personal passion where you would actually have personal gain, mm-hmm. um, the, it's just a whole different thing. And that's what Bando is built on because it, the whole driving factor for all those years when we before we sold and we weren't making any money and I was like losing how my house and, you know, it, it didn't matter because it was just so driven personally there was something about it that I was putting that energy. So it's like seeing, yeah, I look for that. Like I, I look for that. And, and I do think some of it is just psychological to say like, I'm not going to treat it. I'm not going to divide it like that, like the stuff for me or the stuff for work. I'm just going to mm-hmm. like put it together and, and then everybody wins. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think about jobs that I was interviewing for, and like I was, I didn't want to email them too much. I didn't, yeah. want, to, I didn't want to seem needy. Yeah. And yet if I were in a hiring position, the person that was up in my biz all the time, like I'd probably yeah. give it, I mean, as long as they're not. Yeah. You'd at least, yeah, they'd at least be on your radar. Yeah. Like Cause you know that they're not, it's not, this is not just another job to them. Like yeah. they actually, well, anyway, yeah. I would go back in time and have a I talking know. to that. Young. Oh. I was just trying to play it cool. Yeah. I was trying so bad to, to just be like, I have lots of uh, offers and you know, I don't know. Yeah, you don't. I mean, it, it is unfortunate that the things you learn later could be applied, but the only way to learn it is through experiencing it. Like if someone would have told you that when you were twenty, you'd have been like, "That's not. That's not right. 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 That's like, not my experience. Doesn't add up to my experience of the world so far." Yeah, Seems or you like- read it in a book, you'd be like, "No." Now it's like, <laughs> well, looking back, yes, that yeah. was correct. But I think it was because I I felt a sort of desperation mm-hmm. and a neediness. And that's, I was trying so hard for that not to come across yeah. that I couldn't, couldn't bridge. I couldn't, my fingers are making the like yeah. inter, interlocking <laughs> fingers thing. I couldn't make it Dub-tail. work. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you grew up in Florida. Mm-hmm. What was your childhood like? Great. I mean, um, outside of a underlying mental illness that had gotten undiagnosed, it, uh, like I said, I had great, parents i was just talking to my friend this morning um who who i grew up with and we're just like florida was great florida has such a bad rap and it was just like wonderful and sunshiny and you know you weren't having to i'm very sensitive to weather so um but it was stable and there weren't like crazy like i didn't have like where i was like a drug phase or like a super rebellious phase and like i did I did pretty good in school. I mean, I was I was always a smart kid, but um, like homework was not really <laughs> anything I was interested in. Um, but yeah, it was. I I really, you know, outside of of like the mental health issues and and maybe just like the slow emotional tolls that are just being taken by like interacting with parents every day that are just saying things that are that are implanting in you Mm -hmm. that you know there wasn't like anything i'm very lucky i'm just lucky in general so and so and when when did the mental health stuff start coming to the surface i i feel like 
it was able to start being named after college. Prior to that, like there was definitely something wrong and I had had anxiety and had depression, but I didn't know what that was and my parents didn't know what that was. And I certainly didn't have the self-awareness we talked about, so I couldn't really communicate like I'm feeling flat. It was like you knew like words like happy, sad, scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't know like depressed, anxious, manic. Um, so, so I definitely in retrospect was feeling all of that, but it wasn't until after college where I kind of had a, a a small nervous breakdown and then that brought me to a doctor who was like oh you have depression but he was just like a gp and just gave me some prozac which which actually at the time really helped mm-hmm. um it just was it wasn't the right long-term solution um so yeah so that was like i think i was 23 and um what was the small nervous breakdown like oh it was awful um it, it just like it was sort of like the culmination of all of this stress and emotion. And um, I had some I can't think of the word like disassociation where mm-hmm. I thought like my skin had turned green and lit my fingers on fire. And I tried you lit to your fingers on fire. Yeah. Tried to drive off the road. I like tried to crash a wine bottle over my head like I just was like I gotta get out of this this brain needs out of this body you know and it, do you do you consider yourself at the time suicidal no I I've I I have been suicidal once in my life but I was far enough down the path of um, seeking help for mental health issues that I knew I needed to I just like call my parent I'm like you gotta fly me home mm-hmm. like things are not great but no I think I was just agitated you know it's like hard to feel that way and it has an effect on your body and it has an effect on everything you do but you don't know what's happening and no one can help you and um, you know, it's like the abyss mm-hmm. so I think it was I was just like even thinking of it now just makes me like feel kind of like squirmy so I think that's really what that was it was like trying to process that energy out had something triggered it um, well, I, 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 I have an episode like that talks about some of this and I attribute a, the catalyst being going on the birth control pill. Cause like, oh, right. yeah, it was like early nineties. So it was a, it was a intense pill. It's much different than, yeah, than the, than the pills of today. Right yeah. Um, so I think, I think that, and then I think just being like expelled into the real world. And I really didn't have any accountability prior to that. Like my parents just paid for stuff and I didn't really have to have jobs. And so I, and then because I changed from like going to law school to not, I, you know, I, I graduated with a degree in literature and philosophy and three years of Latin, which is like really hard to find a job <laughs> outside of that. So I think I just was like the pressure of like reality mm-hmm. was was certainly that, you know, so I think between the hormones and, and just like life, it just and then a pre-existing condition. <laughs> um, I also hated the birth control pill. Yeah. Hate, hate. And I have endometriosis, so I was they wanted me like I should have been on it but finally my doctor at the time was like it's like your quality of life is more important because I just couldn't I and sometimes I think like because that was the second time in my life um that I tried it and was like I can't do it yeah I'm like did I but I had such a bias against being on the pill at that point that I'm like did I really even give it a chance yeah um but yeah I 
and and I've done IVF, so I've been on a thousand different hormones, but I go far out of my way to avoid ever having to be on the birth control pill. I just hate it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely, I, I don't know that there's uh, sex in the world great enough to trump <laughs> right. that feeling. So I, I think, I also feel like, you know, we've done a disservice to ourselves because if you don't have proof of the way you feel, it, you sometimes say, I shouldn't, I don't know why I feel that way. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't feel that way. The doctor's telling me not to feel that way. Maybe I'm imagining it. That's a Yeah. I and I just think like that's a really important thing to recognize that we're oftentimes the best judge of what is right for, I mean, you think about like treatment plans or diets or I mean, there's so many options. Like the only way to know is for you to identify how you feel and what your gut's telling you, mm-hmm. what your body's telling you. And I just don't think we're ta- like, I think people, maybe women and men are being taught that a little bit more now, but I definitely, that was never explained to me. So it was like, these are the experts. You're a passive participant. Listen to what they say. And, and I just don't like, that doesn't make any sense now. Right. Um, I was reading an interview with you. I think it was Forbes, but it might've been somewhere else. Um, but you were talking a bit about self-care mm. and how it's not always about taking a bubble bath, Mm-mm. but maybe sometimes it is about taking a bubble mm-hmm. bath for yeah. you, you said. But I was – what it made me so, – because I've noticed that like self, self-care self has become a branding thing at yes. this point. What yes. are your thoughts on all that? You know, it, it uh, Forbes actually did another article just about that that I don't know when it came out, but I, it was just put in front of me a few days ago. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I do think it's like it, – it's, it's like a hot – it's a hot topic and but because it's so commercialized now it's like this idea that like there are these product you know there mm-hmm. are lotions and scrubs and things that you can buy and that's self-care and i um we're actually working on like a big initiative at bando that speaks to just like general wellness and mental health all of that but i i think there's like the baseline of self-care is like really understanding what you need when you need it and not thinking that you can just, well, if I just do take a bath, that equals self-care, I mm-hmm. should feel better. You know, it's like you really do need to build that self-awareness and in order to know what you need. And then I do say, and, and something that I learned is like sometimes taking care of yourself means not doing anything. And that was really, as someone who like wants to be productive, that was really counterintuitive for me. But I was talking to one of the girls at work last week about it. I'm like, the problem now is that somehow self-care has been attributed to like um, binge watching Netflix and drinking (laughs) wine and eating pasta because that feels good. And it's like, that's actually could be Mm self-sabotage if you looked at it from a different. So I feel like we're at a place now where we can really start to define that in a way that makes sense. That's kind of a semantic problem. Yeah, it it really is. And it, you know, it's, I feel hopeful that people are, you can say those words and people will pay attention, but I'm definitely interested in like really asking some questions about, you, you know, what that is because to me a lot of it is a is a band-aid and then I think like you know I, I work with a lot of girls that are like easily 20 years younger than me and so to just see the way they look at things and it's like no wonder it's not connecting for you because <laughs> like that's not going to fit like that might alleviate a little bit of pain for 20 minutes but mm-hmm. like it's still going to be there 
when the bath is over. <laughs> right. And then I think a little bit, this is just my own, my own feeling, but like the, a, a, there could be a problem with commercializing self-care, which is like, oh, if you're not double cleansing yeah. and using a serum, then yeah. you're actually not doing it right. Yeah. And then it becomes like a thing you oh could use gosh. to feel bad about yourself. Yeah. Such a complicated world. <laughs> you mentioned the difference between laziness and depression. Mm. And that definitely intrigues me because I can be the laziest person in the world. And then I always think, is this depression or maybe, I don't yeah. know. Can you talk about what you think the difference is? Yeah. Well, I, as someone who grew up identifying as lazy later to find out that a lot of what I was feeling was depression because like now I look and I'm like, I think I have a pretty good track record that like there's, I couldn't be lazy and, and do all of this. But from the outside looking in, it looks the same. And and because, you know, you don't have that information, it's just like I was saying before, happy, sad, whatever, you know, it's just, it's such a general term, um, but such a dangerous attribution, because then you're adding shame to something that's already incredibly painful. So, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny, because it's like all lies lead back to just being, being self-aware, because, now it's easy for me to identify like I'm not like if I can't get out of bed, I'm not getting out of bed because mm -hmm. I'm having a depressive episode. I'm not like trying to avoid work. And and so I had posted something about that on Instagram because I was talking about depression and someone messaged me and said, in my country, we call that laziness. And I was like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then it just immediately like flooded in all these memories of like, oh, my God, I used to think I was lazy. You know, um, I think my parents probably thought I was lazy. I mean, I didn't do that much I, for long periods of time. So it looked like laziness. And then once I started talking about that, like the amount of people that were like, wait, maybe I'm not lazy because <laughs> yeah. I really want to do this stuff. It's just like, you know, it, depression is like you're weighted down, mm -hmm. physically weighted down. And, and because there are no signs of those weights, you like no one can see it. It, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing, but yeah, I think it's an important, I, I definitely want to talk more about that. Um, some of the topics where I'm like, Oh, I just want to get it right. I can see, I keep putting it down lower on the list of, of podcast episodes, but <laughs> I do think it's an important one, you know. Um, do you, can you talk a little bit about for you the difference between um, your feelings about anxiety and depression? And let me explain what I mean. Sure. I, my whole life, I was always like, I don't have anxiety, I have depression. And mm. then after I experienced postpartum depression mm. with anxiety, and it mm. was at that point working with the therapist that I go to now that I, sort of began to realize like, oh, no, I've had anxiety my whole life. Mm -hmm. I just like wasn't, it's like I didn't see that color. Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize what it was. But, and then I go back and I look at behaviors all throughout childhood and tons of, and like I was, I have had tons of anxiety my whole life. Yeah. I just didn't identify it as such. So now I'm pretty aware of like what's anxiety versus depression, but I find they're both uncomfortable yeah anxiety is for me is a more physical feeling for but sure depression to me like i find that less tolerable because it's like something's wrong i, I shouldn't be feeling this i have to change it i have to like i can tolerate de i experience depression more often and i 
dislike it more. Oh, that's interesting. I think I'm so comfortable with depression that I'm like, it's my reprieve from normal life. I'm like, cool, I'm just going to lay in bed for a few days and Mm -hmm. not eat um, because nothing tastes good. In my mind, um, and and I realize they're very interwoven. Now I'm doing the dovetail thing (laughs) with my hands. Um, Even just the necklaces that you talked about at it it was interesting to see the numbers mm-hmm. um and the amount of people that bought them together and i was like oh i they feel like opposing forces to me like like to me depression feels like an absence of emotion and anxiety feels like way too much emotion mm-hmm. and then the physical parts match that up like there's just like lifting your arm feels hard when you're depressed or anything you know and then with things that it's just like you're tingly and you're tight and you can't breathe and um but they're they're definitely somehow intertwined but my experience with them has always been different and also i don't know that i had like generalized anxiety like my anxiety was for the most part outside of like just being put on wrong medications was quite situational Mm -hmm. and like there was a catalyst over the last few weeks, like I was saying, having just like anxiety all day, all night, I was like, it gave me a real empathy for people that feel that way all the time. Right. But I, they seem very different to me. So that's interesting. So depression for you is an app. Like, do you feel flat when you feel depressed? Because oh, I, because yeah. for me, I have been, de- I have been depressed to that level where it's like, oh, I'm. I'm numb and yeah. I like almost feel like I'm barely like I'm sleepwalk. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not in this world anymore. Um, but I think the more common depression is just like, Oh, I feel miserable and sad and I feel like everything's wrong. Yeah. I, um, that's definitely on my scale. So that's like a three and a okay. half. And <laughs> one is like the, the other, um, I guess sometimes I don't know, like, like sadness versus anxiety. I don't know. Anxiety feels more like control, mm-hmm. like a control thing. And and when I'm in the sad part of depression, I guess it's easy for me to just look at it and be like, "Is am I sad? Is this situational depression or is this like a chemical right. depression? And, and so I have like two different things I would do. Because like for me, if it's just my brain doing something and nothing, I'm just crying in my car and I have a great life, then the course of action would be different than like, I'm sad because I'm broken hearted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, like I can talk through that versus like I better f- like physically do some things. And then, yeah, mostly my depression, I feel like I relate it more to the part where I just have lost interest and feeling and my favorite food no longer tastes good and my favorite um, sitcom is no longer funny and it's Mm -hmm. just like so wild to have that happen what is your favorite food and your favorite sitcom (laughs) pizza Uh um you know i've i've been really getting back into the office lately i haven't i haven't watched on so long but it is so funny so i don't think i've i'm like haven't really been in watch that much tv i have to it has to be really i think that's why i'm going back to old shows because i'm like i know this is good i know yeah. i don't really have the time to take a chance on right. something <laughs> right you mentioned that there in the past there were specific situations that would you felt anxiety in those situations mm-hmm. like what were the triggers definitely facing a fear um you know even now like if there's 
I could I could have an anxiety attack just based on like travel. I mean, travel is probably travel was the first time that I was like, I'm having something is happening to my body. Like I was at the airport and mm-hmm. I just like lost it. Um, so so that's a big part of it. I, I do think it's like anytime I'm handing over control to the world at large or like a specific other person, it that that will trigger it. And then the only other things are like speaking would, you know, public speaking. That doesn't really happen anymore. Although my body remembers it. So sometimes <laughs> I'll be like, what? what's going on? I'm not even nervous. Why mm-hmm. is this happening? You know, which is such an interesting thing with anxiety specifically. It's like your body knows where to go faster than your brain does totally. sometimes. And I'm like, why, why are we here? I'm fine. This is fine. I'm not even worried about this. So, but years of having that, but yeah, travel for me is, is the worst and most specific. Like and I still have it. You travel frequently for work, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it. sometimes it's, I thought I was fine. And I'm like, I'm going to go no Xanax, no nothing. I'm going to drive myself to the airport. And I had the worst <laughs> travel anxiety episode of my life. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be precious with this. But yeah, I mean, I'm, it's not going to stop me because it's nothing is going to happen. It's just like, I'd love to unlearn that, but it, it's not a fear of flying. It's travel anxiety. Like there's mm-hmm. so many logistics and like, w- what time am I getting picked up? And am I going to get there in yes. time? Is there going to be a line? And will I get through security? And what, is there going to be space in the overhead bin? And, and then, and then sure, is the plane going to fall out of the sky? But that's like a small piece in a much larger, you know, dialogue that happens so totally yeah when i'm finally on the plane that's when i feel like, good yes yeah then i almost feel like well whatever happens yeah i've out submitted of my to now. it yes. yeah yeah i'm the same it's funny because one of the girls from work is the opposite she's totally fine until we get on the plane and then she just starts sweating and i'm like oh i can i can handle it from here because i'm like there's like that com- air compression thing i think that makes me a little like yeah, loose and i'm just like i feel fine yeah i don't know what's gonna happen but i'm like in a seat and i'm probably gonna get a drink whereas like the you know the crashing thing i think is that's but those to me are two very different things my old boss feels very strongly that you should get like be the last to get on the plane getting on the plane oh. first is not a privilege because you know why would you want to sit there longer and i'm like oh. no i gotta get on there i gotta get my space my yeah. overhead compartment space i gotta get situated yes. i gotta like i gotta get my compression socks on <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then the socks that go over the compression socks to keep the feet warm yeah mm-hmm. i have a, i Got would a be system. first on ed- every day of the week first on. yeah same yeah, yeah i'm very that whole like, will I have space for my stuff? Is the, that's is a huge source of anxiety for me. Worse. Okay, how do you feel about parking? Because just earlier today, I was making plans with someone, and we decided <laughs> to go to the same place we always go, even though we're being quote unquote boring and not adventurous. Because at least we know there's parking there. Yeah, I have a huge issue. Well, see, I just want the path to be laid out. Like, mm-hmm. I um. I had my my a, a prior assistant who I still who still works at Bando that I love very much, but I really she had no anxiety, and so her process of like planning things for me was was not the same. And and there was like a parking situation once. I was like, wait, what? I need to like I have the printed thing, and I need to know which way. And she was like, oh, that didn't even occur to me. And I was like, oh, parking is like a major part of driving. You know, and and it's funny that you asked that because I when I drove on your street and and like the first few spots were taken, I was like, 
did Deb put a note in here about parking? <laughs> Where am I parking? And it's not like, I'm not like freaking out. I mean, this is all inner. Of course. Di- no, I you know, I'm not go. like screaming in the middle of your street. So don't be worried. But, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think I mostly just want to know, like I want to know as much as I can know. Cause mm-hmm. I know how much I'm never going to know. And so it's like, if I can just like, yeah, get the variables nailed down. Like your note about the doorbell not working was very helpful for me. Good. And that there were many options. Yes, you could text, me. you could I call, was like, you could knock. This must be someone with anxiety <laughs> because this, that's what I would do. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, I did my show at Bumbershoot a couple of years ago, which is oh. this big festival up in Seattle. And mm. there was the place where there was the theater, but like getting into the theater was it was very confusing because you had to pick up your badge in one place and then Mm. you had to find the theater Mm -mm. and it was also raining since Seattle and (laughs) I was doing three shows and there was a bunch of different guests on the shows and I remember the the first night just being like I can't wait till this is all over because I'm so concerned like okay this person I need to contact them and tell them to get their badge and then to go and this is the logistics of it were like that's why I don't there are people who like being tour managers like mm-hmm. i would never Mm-mm. i would never want to um i know that you went to a food therapist i did what was your experience with that it was it was really good i i um i don't suffer from an eating disorder or anything like that but i definitely um use food as a drug and like will do a fair share of emotional eating and it was still it was a little while ago so i was still like feeling the effects of of uh, my divorce and um, she just, I, I feel like I'm a good therapy candidate because I've had so much. I also think it's probably annoying to therapists because I'm like, I, I already know that. <laughs> like we went to a, a, a marriage counselor and she was like, this is going to be hard because you guys are in two different places therapy wise. But she, the food therapist was, was really helpful and just gave like, she actually was like, do you think you could rate, like give a number to your hunger? I was like, I've been giving numbers. That I was like, have you heard of the emotional rating system? Um, but so she, you know, she talked a lot about like rating that and like kind of gave me ways to set me up for success in like not falling into the trappings. And then um, she talked a lot about, really trying to get like when you're just like halfway through a bowl of spaghetti and you're just like there's just sauce everywhere you're just like slurping away like can you just stop for a minute and identify why specifically you're doing this and and just like write a few notes or just you can eat the you can eat the whole thing but like start to work on what's causing it and so essentially just more awareness you Mm -hmm. know of just like why why you're doing what you're doing and how you can set yourself up for success. If you know that's a weakness, it's like if I'm anxious and I'm sad and I'm starving, nothing great is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and she, and one thing that I thought was really um, valuable is she was like, once you get, you know, so it's like one is starving, 10 is super, super full. She's like, once you get below a four, you won't stop at seven. Like mm. your body doesn't catch up in time because you've already wreaked havoc on it. You're going to overeat. Like that's just the way our bodies work. And I was like, that was motivation enough for me to like never get to that place where I'm just like, I'm going to kill someone if I don't. <laughs> and and I go from four to one in like 
That's like one of the things I'm known for where I'm just like, I'm fine. And then I'm like, oh, sorry, <laughs> you know, and it's just like really unpleasant to be around. And so I was like, oh, OK, I'll just like keep nuts in my bag and mm-hmm. never let that happen again. So. And is she an actual like, does she identify as a food therapist? Yeah, that's her. I I mean, I wish I could remember her name. But yeah, but the girl who does my hair told me about it. And I was like, wait, I want to know like food therapy. So she was approached things in a very, you know, in a talk therapy kind of way, but then also had this like sort of like nutritionist element right. to her and just yeah. like a knowledge of food and I mean I think there's like such a I mean obviously we are this isn't my own personal revelation but just like the mind gut and mm-hmm. like food and what it does is is really interesting and true yeah <laughs> so does having that awareness um make it more difficult to emotionally eat totally I've still done it <laughs> um but I was drunk at the time <laughs> which that you know, if there's one way to get rid of awareness, awareness yeah um it's a bottle of wine um yeah i mean it does it's it's like it 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 probably gets me out of some stuff but yeah it, the flip side i think this is kind of part of what you were saying earlier is like there's a little bit extra shame involved mm. when you know you're aware and you know that you're doing something wrong and you're aware you're doing it and you're also aware that you set yourself up for this and you're aware that you can't stop. It's like, it almost feels worse. That to me is like the shame spiral, which thankfully this is the me of the past, but like, I know this guy's bad for me. Yeah. I know I'm not going to get anything I want. I'm hanging out with him tonight. Yeah. I mean, that was me over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I didn't have that as much with men, but I have it with lots. I mean, even, you know, we were talking about like waking up and looking at your phone Mm -hmm. and it's like, I have identified that that is wrong and that I have a high chance of it feeling really awful. And yet I cannot stop myself. Mm So, and, and I'm, self-aware so it's like it, it is I, I think that's also just like part of being human right yes but but the elect the technology addiction like that is mm. i think so many of us are experiencing that and i, I keep trying to be better about it and then i'm better for a little while and yeah it's hard we're gonna get there i i we're gonna get there i, I don't i don't know how but <laughs> that's the optimist in is me that we like you and me or we as a society <laughs> let's start with you and okay. me but i was speaking as a society and then as, as i was saying that i'm like i can't think of one way that we're gonna get there as a society so we'll just start with us and see who we can influence Sometimes I think like, well, maybe I need the Apple Watch because mm-hmm. then it would be right there, but I wouldn't. <laughs> Which is no. like that's just that's <laughs> no. just manipulating you your addiction, you know. You need to put your phone in another room. Like I need to just like forget my phone every yeah. once in a while, and it's not like a limb is missing, you know. My husband and I went somewhere, and I forgot my. I we got in the car and I forgot my phone, but he had his phone, so I'm like, okay, I'm just I'm just gonna. Yeah. We're just going to, and then I'm like, I can't do it. I had to go back in and yeah. get it. Yeah. I had to. I, it, this, the, I forgot that aspect when I started the story. So I thought this was going to be a triumphant story, but <laughs> it's it, not. It wasn't. Um, Part two. Part yeah. two coming soon. Let's do a segment called Just Me or Everyone. But first, I want to tell you guys I'm on Patreon. 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. There's different reward levels. You get behind the scenes stuff. You can hear people, me- not you, but you can yeah. hear uh, me and uh, Daniel messing up doing various intros on the podcast. Um, and there's bonus episodes and there's a live stream and it's super fun. So much access to me. You'll beg me to leave you alone. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for that. Um, let's do just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? This is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And then we weigh in. Amazing. Celine says, sometimes type out the emoji word instead of scrolling through the emoji keyboard to find it. I always do this. <laughs> I always do this. And I was very disappointed. Someone on Instagram, they had to put their dog down. Aww. And so oh, no. I typed out, I was looking for the heartbreak emoji. I mean, I, yeah. I, wrote, I yeah. wrote a yeah. message, but then I was looking for the heartbreak emoji to show that I really felt what I meant. And I typed out heartbreak and it didn't come up. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is that one filed under? Yeah. Oh, well, that's the thing. The the what each emoji is called is much yeah. different than what we think it is and right. often different than what we use it for. But I, um, although I do not type out the what what they're called, I, my car connects to my phone and can read my text messages to me as they come in and oh you're never breaking your addiction (laughs) yeah oh yeah i mean now i'm in love with my car um (laughs) but when it reads a text with emoji like it'll like someone had sent me something about getting coffee and they did a coffee of it and they're like cup of hot beverage or something it was like the because that's when you actually find out what they're all filed under right and i was just laughing so hard or someone (laughs) sent me like um it was like the clapping hands emoji or something, but they sent me uh, like six of them in a row and my car just kept going, clapping hand emoji, clapping hand emoji, clapping hand emoji. <laughs> I was like, this is so fun. That is hilarious. Yeah. The one that's a hug, I didn't realize that. Was, do you know what I mean? It's like no. a little face and it's got little hands like this and it almost looks like, ah, like it's like, oh, that's a hug. See, this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I could have used that so many times. Yeah. Uh, and also, it took me a while to, you know, the gritting teeth yes. emoji? Yeah. I don't think I realized that that was like. Not a giant smile? Yes. I yeah. think I thought it was a giant smile. Yeah. But really, it's, it's more nuanced. of like, mm, like, yeah. I hope Oops. this is okay. Yeah, yeah. I just said something that might make you mad. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And then I like that there's the one that's the. One eye closed and tongue out. Like, yeah. I'm being silly. Oh, but that's one of the, my favorites. There's the one eye closed, tongue out, turned to the side. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm really, I'm really off my rocker. <laughs> really being silly. Yeah. I love emojis. Jeff has an Android. Do you even know Ooh. what we're talking about? Yes, they have they emojis. Have they okay. Are they the same as ours? Yes. Okay. Okay, glad we share that's this good language. <laughs> that's good to know. When I was a kid, we just had emoticons, <laughs> and that was fine. Emoticons are great, too. I still use the shrug one. Like, oh, oh, yeah. That one yeah. always cracks me up. Yeah. My phone is programmed for me to just type in the word shrug, and it pops up. That's one such of the girls at work did it for me. Saver. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Because I, I feel like I could really spruce up my messages, but I just don't have the time to find the right emojis. Yeah. So, um, shortcuts. Jeff Bergeron says... 
I don't believe that even once in my life I've actually plugged a USB device in with the correct side up on the first try. <laughs> Is it witchcraft? Hashtag first world problems. That literally just happened to me today. And I'm like, you know what? I was just going to tell you what the solution is. And now I'm not sure. It's like, is the icon for the USB the top or the bottom? Oh, I think it, it, I think it's the top, but we don't know. Right. This just came up on the show. Do you you know with an on off where there's a circle and a line? Mm -hmm. Do you know which one is on and which one's off? No. Jeff does. Yeah. (laughs) It's like binary (laughs) code. So zero is nothing. One is on. And also for USB cables, I don't know what it is. I don't know that there's a standard thing where it's yeah, printed. Yeah. But what I do is that I have a silver Sharpie that I keep next to my desk. And I put a dot on the top side of whatever I'm, I typically yeah. plug in. So I yeah. just look at it and I see the thing and I just do that. You Androiders. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah after five years of not <laughs> yeah. of going. Just jamming. Rrr, rrr, jam, rrr, jam, yeah. jam. That's really funny. That's really funny. Celine says, notice how old I'm getting when I have to scroll far on a drop-down menu when entering my birth year into a form. <laughs> yes. That, I was depressed by that the other day. Like It was really, it wasn't in the first selection. No. I had to go into the archives of that list. Yeah, that's really funny. Oh, or when you're at the supermarket and they have the little sticker saying you must be this old to buy liquor. Yeah. And whatever 21 years ago is, yeah, yeah. is not yeah, that I know. long ago. <laughs> so it seems. You're like, that's weird. I was a full grown up. Yeah. I was like, mm, I have medical conditions, socks, and <laughs> yeah. college degrees older than that. <laughs> Burgundy Hatch says, meanwhile, I'm pulling the piece of paper away from my eyes so I can read it. I'm mm. this person now. Burgundy Hatch says, whenever I'm. On an Instagram or Twitter page with a shit ton of follows, I always hope that my follow will be the one to immediately get it to the next benchmark, mm. i.e. 599,000 to 600,000 never happens. Do you have that? <laughs> I've I never do, had that. I love to see. I don't. I actually think I have been that person once, but I I love to see the like a number change. Right. Like, so that's definitely very satisfying. I also feel like. Didn't they used to show more numbers? I feel like they like they've compressed com- it. Compressed at least. I don't go on Twitter that much, but at least on Instagram, I feel like you you don't know how close the person is. Right. To the next. That's true. But I think if you go into your yeah, you, we you can, can see it. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah, I haven't been looking at that a lot lately. I feel like that's a good sign. That's a very good sign. Because I went through a, f- a period of time where I was like, I've got to get my Instagram follower number up, and then I was like. It'd be like one new follow. Yeah. And then like one person stopped. And then it was just like. it's No, it's too hard. I, I mean, I I look at it and I don't know what I'm looking for, like to feel good or to feel bad. Right. You know, I sometimes I want to see if I can like know like, oh, this caused that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's all about engagement these days. It's not about following numbers anymore. It's but about what, what does, happens. What does that even? Yeah, I mean, yes, but what does that even mean? Likes and comments. Oh, okay. So it so it's not just like you could have three million followers but low engagement, and it's not like the, there's not, not value attributed to right. that. But if you post something and you have a bunch of likes, a bunch of comments, people tagging other mm-hmm. people in your that's engagement. That's what. That's like how. That's the way it's evaluated now 
Well, that makes me feel better. Yeah. Fart girl says. Oh, God. (laughs) It drives me nuts when people inconveniently park their cars facing the wrong side of the road just to get their mail that is 10 feet away from their house. Um. I'm having trouble visualizing this one. I feel like this is a an East Coast different mailbox situation yeah. type of I can visualize the car parked in the wrong direction, but I don't know I don't see the mail. I right. don't know where the mail is, but Oh no, I get it. It's so that the driver's side Oh right. Okay. So, so the driver's smart. side is next to the mailbox. Yeah. Yes, I, that would bother me. I mean, too. at that point, then can't you just reach your arm out? Do you even need to be parked in your car? Can you just like right, drive you could by just pull and up. quickly slow yeah. down and grab it? Yeah, I haven't seen that happen before yet. No, but see, that's why I do think fart girl. We're gonna need to know where you're located. Yeah, please. I suspect this is like this is an East Coast thing where you have a mailbox that's far from your front door. Mm-hmm. Pearl says. If I even remotely resemble a celebrity's significant other in a very general sense, like similar build, hairstyle, etc., I wonder if that celebrity would be into me too, or at the very <laughs> least, if I could catch his eye in passing. I do, I've done that before. Really? Yeah. Where I'll like, be like, mm, I'm kind of interested in that person. And then I look at like who they've dated. I'm like, I think I fit the profile. <laughs> like, I think I'm close right. enough. It yeah. didn't work. It didn't work. But there was this guy that I liked. And we had sort of like a, a, we were never in the same place at the same time, mm. um, but we would run into each other for work and we had like a brief, long kind of flirtation and mm. like a little bit of making out, but yeah. nothing ever really, really happened between us. Uh, I never turned into anything, but I always liked him. And I remember him saying at one point something like, I'm his type. Mm. And now he has a girlfriend that is so much like, oh, I really am his type. <laughs> but weirdly, I felt flattered by seeing that. Like, of oh, he course. really did like it. It's like, that's really couldn't be less about me than anything yeah. in the whole world. <laughs> if anything, I feel like I should almost feel like weird that, oh, sh- oh my God, we you really could be are. Duplicated. Yes. 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 But I didn't. Uh, okay. Jay Tobias says, this is something you were mentioning. Oh. I say, um, plus a pause at the beginning of every sentence I am anxious to say. Mm. Those who know me know something is coming. Mm-hmm. I th- say, uh, and, um, too often, but I don't think that other people notice it. I mean, maybe they, I don't think the people close to me notice it. Yeah. I don't know who's noticing it or not, but I don't feel like I'm saying it because I'm anxious to say I feel like it's uh, my mouth giving my brain a minute to mm-hmm. just like it's pause like and go, okay, now say this. Or like I was saying like, before I talk, I'm like, I got to have a drink of water. Like it's just like that last thing. But I feel like I say it before all sorts of mm-hmm. all sorts of thoughts, not just the ones I'm anxious about. But right. Everyone's saying um, that's probably why people don't notice because it's just part of mm-hmm. speech. I do wonder. Uh, <laughs> maybe I. Oh hell no! I do wonder if I went to a vocal coach, what the tricks are for getting rid of that. I feel like the I trick know. is just to not say it. Probably just pause or something. So have you? You haven't done mm-hmm. any? Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that too. I'm like, hmm. I took a voiceover class. Um, that's, see, now I'm so <laughs> well, aware. Well, then it. you become aware yes. of it, and then it's just like a plague, right? I took a voiceover class, and I was hoping that that kind of stuff would be addressed, but it wasn't was at all. It was oh. more just. It was really. It was really interesting. It was more like the business of voiceover and how 
how to do an effective Emote. audition yeah. and that kind of and and how to you know it's all about speaking in a conversational manner versus sounding like you're announcing but there was really no sort of diction or articulation i think that's a more a specific different other thing yeah which i should probably do someday yeah since i do talk into a microphone all the time yeah and i'm even hesitant to say that to my listeners because i don't want them to be so aware of me saying um and ah right but they'll just forget about it okay yeah i hope you're right it's like when you talk about eye contact and then you're like very highly yeah, aware of like- the placement of your eyeballs <laughs> yeah. and lastly sooner magic says always paranoid i'm going to be accused of theft when i leave my meal payment <laughs> on table and walk out before the waiter comes back to collect it i've never had that but like accused of theft like accused of walking out without paying yeah yeah i i get that i'm trying to think i don't know if i've had it as much with with meals but there's definitely something where if the process of like checking out is not the norm Mm -hmm. i'm like oh yeah i'm definitely gonna be tackled at the door (laughs) (laughs) right um i said um yeah i will i'll feel anxiety if i'm going to a store wearing or carrying Mm. some bit of merchandise or like i uh we went to the grocery store recently and i had a drink a half drunk drink yes. in my bag yes. and my husband was putting the stuff on the on the conveyor belt and he's like oh is this and I'm like no, no. I came with that yes but, but what if I'm li- I mean I wasn't yes. lying but what if I were yes I I I have that too where where I don't want to like go into J Crew wearing something from J Crew yeah. because I'm afraid they're gonna think that that and then I for the longest time I had this wallet that must have had a sensor sewn into it that was not visible. And for like a six-month period of time, I, I was setting off alarms, <laughs> which someone with anxiety, it right. was. So then I literally started having PTSD and like and and like such trauma that I would just like go to the threshold of the <laughs> store, just close my eyes and just like go for it. And then, th- I mean, I got, my bag was searched so many times and oh, God. I loved the wallet Did, so much. You never found the sensor? No, but eventually I was like, I got to get rid of this wallet. And it, that's definitely what it was. Cause I would, when I, I was like, I think it's the wallet. And then I would have them do it. And it was, but I'm just like, you can look in the wallet. It's in there somewhere. But. <laughs> It was nerve-wracking. Yeah. It was not cool. Yeah. Uh, did you... This just popped in my head. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask it. It's out of nowhere and it relates to nothing. Did you ever go through a shoplifting phase? Totally. All girls did, right? I think so. Okay. I, I, I don't know what that is, but I definitely remember like tying... Like wearing a skirt into a store and like tying clothing to my legs. Wow. And then walking out. And there wasn't... Um, there weren't always sensors like there are now. That's what made me think of it. I was thinking about those sensors much that are the, the ink. Oh yeah, ones. no, I, I. But I was done with the phase by that point. This this was just like if you could hide it, you could get it out. Right. Yeah. So I wonder what that is because I'm not like I'm not big into theft. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm not a kleptomaniac. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Disneyland with some cool girls mm. in my class in like seventh or eighth grade, and I was not cool. But somehow I had been allowed entree into their cool, <laughs> cool Disneyland escapade. And they were all stealing these little rings. Mm. They were cheap. I mean, they were like mm-hmm. tin, little yeah. rings from the store. Yeah, yeah. And so I did it 
because I guess I'm a follow. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, but it was quite a rush. Yeah. But I didn't. Thankfully, like, because I there was a girl who I don't in my school. Who, I don't know if she got. Ar- I think she got arrested. I'm sure she, nothing happened to her. But um, she stole a bathing suit and like got caught, and it was a whole thing. Because there were girls that went far into that world. Yeah. Thankfully for me, it was just like a tin ring at yeah. Disneyland. But I did see like, oh, this. There is an appeal to this. Yeah. We were just dabbling, but yeah. but there there is a definite appeal unless you would get caught. I I got caught once, but I had actually decided right before I left the it was like a department store that I was just like I don't I think I was trying to steal records or something <laughs> and I was like this isn't going to work. And so but the security followed us into the mall and then was like wanted to search us but i didn't i was like oh my god that would have been so awful i think that was the last time i was just like that's not actually that fun when right you, when that there's close di- call. yeah yeah jen gotch it was so much fun having you on the show I know. Thank, thank you for having you. me everyone needs to go out and listen to your podcast it comes out on tuesdays, tuesdays yeah jen gotch is okay sometimes <laughs> on the girl boss network speaking of intimidating fashiony people did you know sophia before no, I didn't know, which is so strange, but I didn't know her until I went on oh, her okay. podcast and we just like, sort of like how you and I, like we just started talking right away and we were like, why aren't we friends? So, but yeah, I was, I was definitely like scared, but I thought we have a lot in common. Yeah. So, yeah. She's very cool though. Very cool. Sophia Amorosa. Cool. Um, Amor- oh man. Yeah. I'm not good at that either. Amoruso. Yeah. I believe. I think I just I said say it right. Sophia. I just say Sophia because yeah. I don't want to get anything. I know. Wrong, I felt like I should I should have just left it at Sophia, but I felt like my audience might not know who I'm talking about. Founder but, of Nasty Gal, author exactly. of Girl Boss. Yeah. Now Girl co-founder Boss. of Girl Boss Enterprises. I don't know. Is what that what it's it called. is? Well, media, it's a, maybe. it's it's a, yeah. That's right. And so they have lots of different media outlets. But yeah, she's She's amazing and and definitely very cool. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even try to go into that. Being you wouldn't that try cool. to go to Disneyland with her? No. <laughs> I would go to Disneyland with her. That would be really that fun. That would be fun. Yeah. Tell everyone, uh, plug whatever you'd like to plug and oh, what they you, should look for. You did it. I mean, obviously, you could go to Bando.com, B-A-N-D-O, if you're looking for a fun, vibrant optimistic whimsical whimsical i was trying to remember all the words <laughs> inclusive gift mm-hmm. um or just a or just a just a cool experience um but i'm really excited for people to hear the podcast and share it because you know it's um although not a fully philanthropic effort it really is like i just feel like there's things i could do to help so spread the word do it spread the word you guys Thanks. jeff where do we find you you can find me on facebook and twitter at colonel jeff fox and I have a book out, Tropical Attire and Courage and Other Phrases That Scare Me, available in all formats. <laughs> and you can, um, if you go to my website, alisonrosen.com, there's many places that will invite you to click them. Uh, and then it'll take you to Amazon where you can buy the book. It's also available elsewhere, but it's just super easy if you go to alisonrosen.com. Also, t-shirts, ringtones, et cetera. Follow me on Twitter, at alisonrosen. And follow me on Instagram, at alisonrosen. Uh, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. About the Allison Rosen Show. We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen is your new best.